Welcome to another edition of Packy Chat. I believe this is episode 24, I do believe. Uh, as always, we really appreciate the people that uh, tune in and listen to us uh, every month. Uh, those of you that uh, follow us on Facebook or give us positive feedback on iTunes or iHeart or wherever it is you listen to it, we appreciate that very much. And always a big thank you to our patrons, people that support us at patreon.com backslash PeckyChat. Uh, are able to uh, uh, support the podcast that way. We really appreciate it. We've been doing this for a year, uh, 12 months through this uh, miserable pandemic. Um, this was a little bright spot for us, I know, getting together to talk uh, talk elephants and stuff at least once a month. Uh, but because it has been a year, all the dues on everything were due again. Uh, time to pay up on our, our podcast space, um, SoundCloud, and all that stuff. So the people that uh, support us on Patreon, we really appreciate it. Appreciate you very much. This week we got together to talk about transportation, moving elephants, uh, point A to point B, one zoo to another, one park to another, whatever it is, across the country, across the state, across the world. Uh, tra- moving elephants has evolved and changed quite a bit um, in the many years I've been in the business. So the, the group of us got to sit down and just share our experiences on moving elephants and transportation and all that jazz. So as I always say, Appreciate everyone for listening. Please uh, share us with your friends and family and coworkers and whoever. The more the merrier. Enough of me talking for this week. Let's uh, get to it. I mean, transportation seems like a decent topic, uh, mainly because it, I think it's evolved so much from when, you know, the first elephant that I ever moved, um, you know, there was no training really that went into it. It was just kind of put into a truck, tied up and driven away off to the next place. And we didn't think twice about it. You know, now there's there's so much effort goes into the training and we use crates more because of that. And, you know, I think some of the things we do were definitely a, a good improvement. But some of the things, you know, some of the old ways you don't, you know, I don't necessarily know that it was broken and needed to be fixed, but. You, know, you can train them to go into the into a crate till they walk into it as comfortable as can be. And next thing you know, they're moving down the road uh, in a dark box, whether it's a trailer or a crate or what it is. If it's a crate, a lot of times they're being lifted in the air, you know, over or out of the exhibit, and then put on a on a trailer and moved away and driven wherever they have to be driven and unloaded. So you wonder if that if the you know the training the effort to train them to be comfortable to go in the box does much for them other than makes that day that they load easier, but does it reduce stress in the long run? Who knows? I look, if you're going to move, you know, an elephant somewhere and say there's 10 steps to the process, you know, from when the, you know, first day you're training to the day they step off the new facility, realistically are those 10, 10 steps, how many do you actually, you know, put the elephant through? You know, what are they exposed to? They're probably exposed to the first three steps maximum. And then step four on is when the door shuts and we haven't approximated them to that. So yeah, I guess you could argue that, you know, arguments say just 10 steps. We're gonna we're gonna work on the uh, 
the first few steps and get them used to that. Um, what's that mean? Well, that's there's a whole lot of resources that get dumped into those first few steps. Uh, not only keep your time, um, usually cost-wise as well, to get an animal to, uh, to rent a crate if you don't have one, the rental fee to get, getting it delivered, equipment to offload it, put in a place and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, you know, I don't think I would not go through those four steps, but I think that when we look at this whole transportation thing, I think you hit the nail on the head, it's at, at the very end, you know, how much have we reduced this animal's um, stress going through this move? I think there's definitely parameters as far as what you can do to, you have to be realistic about what you can do and when to, to reduce the stress. And I think it's important to do that as much as, as much as possible, as much as is within your means to do so, because, you know, like was already touched upon, there comes a point where it's all new, unless you have incredible means to, you know, follow through and practice being lifted and practice, have the crate moved around and, you know, drive up and down the road with it. I mean, obviously that could all be done at a huge expense, but I think, I think it makes sense to, to reduce stress as much as possible and make the whole process as easy as possible for the staff and, and the animals. But ultimately there's a, there's a limit to it. And, and, you know, at some point in time, it's, it's new. Um, clearly once you, you know, you get going, you, you, once you move the crate, once you get on the road, once you get to your destination, once you, you know, offload the, 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 the crate, once you release the animals into the building, I mean, all of the, the new building, all of those things are, are new and potentially stressful. So I think it makes sense, uh, to do those things. It's prudent. It's certainly the business has evolved. The process of transporting elephants has evolved, which I think is good, but it's also, requires a lot more resources that, you know, can be challenging for some institutions and sometimes cost prohibitive. And, and I will also say that there's been times where uh, I've been in a time crunch where it's hard to, uh, or actually it was impossible to be able to put all the time in, rent the crates, do the training. So, you know, do I think it's inhumane to do it without the training and without crates and things like that? No, I don't. Uh, I think it's the preferred way for sure, but I think a well thought out transportation plan, as long as you know what you're getting into, you have buy-in from everybody and, uh, you know, knowing that you, you still, even in that scenario, you want to make it least, as least stressful for the animal as possible. I think that's, that's okay too, but clearly we've, we've all sort of bought into the evolution and, and the new ways to do it. Everything with elephants is, um, Obviously, you know, cliches, but it's big, but it's also the cost. We start looking at it and you touch on the cost. You know, we look at other animals being transported in our industry, you know, um, very common to um, train a primate into a kennel, you know, to, to move. Very common to train a, like a pinniped to go into a crate back and forth. You know, um, those aren't huge costs to have a very kennel or just a you know, something like a large dog crate or even a pinniped crate. Even um, a lot of times with um, big cats, a lot of them are, are trained to go in and out. And you wonder why, you know, has the elephant industry been um, you know, kind of further behind in, in that kind of thing? And I think that, I wouldn't say they were further behind. I think that um, other resources came up with, I think the big thing is the, 
kind of the, the invention of um, crates for for elephants. Does anybody know, you know kind of who who started the whole crate thing and moving elephants in crate as opposed to trailers? I don't have a clue. Yeah, so I'm gonna go back for a second to something you said because about elephants being behind, you know, a little bit with that stuff. I agree that, you know, that stuff is trained now, but I mean, I also know that there's plenty of hoofstock that are run onto trailers through a chute you know, down a hallway through a chute and onto a trailer. Um, and I'm not saying there aren't hoofstock trained to uh, go into crates as well, you know, rhinos and well, any hoofstock, but, um, you know, I don't, I think that is fairly new as well, training, you know, back in the early in my career, you know, most animals that we moved woke up in a crate, they were sedated. You know, you put them in a crate, regardless of what it was, really. They woke up in a, a crate when they were awake enough. Um, and we sure they weren't, you know, they were doing well. Then they went on the road and away they went. As far as the crate thing, you know, up until, oh boy, 10, 12, 15 years ago, you know, there were only a couple of people moving elephants in the country. Uh, I'll say commercially. Uh, um you know, for zoos and for private places, they, and, and those people had trailers. And I think it was um, the one that really became popular for it, moving them in crates was, was Steve Fritz. Um, and that idea of being able to leave a crate to get an animal comfortable with was pretty um, enticing for people. Also the fact that they traveled with a vet and did a lot of periodic stops and stuff like that was very appealing to at least a lot of leadership uh, that way. I know I've talked to people that transport and move animals, all different kinds of animals. Um, and they don't necessarily think that having an elephant that's never been in a crate or moved its in its whole life, you put it in a crate and move and you drive nonstop because you have multiple drivers to get you through the night. You know, they think that that is a lot more stressful than stretching the stretching the drive out over a couple of days and giving that elephant time to rest. You know, you put it in a crate, start moving it down the road. It's going to really lock up and and you know probably wedge its feet against the corners of the crate and and try to stay steady as it's going down the road. And that's a lot of stress. So, you know, when those drivers need to take a rest, I'm guessing the elephants probably do well to take a rest too. I don't think there's, you know, there's definitely no science or data behind that, but I know that, uh, that I've, I've had that discussion with people before. The first elephant I ever moved in a crate wasn't because it was the container of choice. It was because the facility the animal was going to had no truck access and had to be, had to be craned from the nearest road to the new, to the uh, new facility. So that was that was an interesting process. So uh, we still didn't we still weren't able to do the the whole training bit. And this goes back a number of years, but we still weren't able to do the whole training bit. But you know the thing to remember about all of this is that you know uh, it was alluded to a little bit earlier about you know everything's big. The whole process is big. There's a lot of resources involved. There's a lot of people involved. There's a lot of stress involved. Even in the best 
case scenario, it's a stressful thing because you want everything to go off without a hitch. And clearly there are, um, you know, consequences for, um, you know, a multitude of things that could happen. Um, I think the big thing is regardless of your chosen methodology, I think you need to have a plan B. Um, animals that are trained can throw a curveball. things can happen. So with, with all of the things that, that go into orchestrating an elephant move, uh, I think it's important to have a plan B, uh, you know, a suitable plan B in case you do get those curveballs thrown at you or something kind of goes off the rails. So regardless of your chosen methodology, you know, a lot of these things, because of the resources involved, because of that, a lot of times we don't have as much wiggle room for timing and things. So I think that's also an important consideration. You know, I, I'm sitting here listening and thinking back, and I was thinking that, you know, the, the crate and, and who was the first to move elephants in crates, every elephant that we got here came in a crate. You know, they were all brought, they were all put in a crate and shipped across across the, the world when they came here in the first place. And it's interesting that we started, I, I'd imagine trucks and trailers became the preferred method of transportation because uh circuses and traveling shows were using them to move elephants and it seemed like the obvious way to go and that's my guess i don't know yeah you're you're right and i think of it as that the first facility i worked with um they received eight elephants in the 70s and um yeah they did they did have um they were all in crates and, and even um, even now, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, anytime when there's been an import and nowadays, yeah, they're still coming to, uh, from crates, in crates. Um, I haven't seen a lot of crates that have come from rage, rage countries, but the one that I, the ones that I've seen are, they're interesting <laughs> in their, in their um, engineering, you know, and they're, uh, they're not like the, the big massive, you know, ones that we seem to have today. We, we talked about, um, Brian, I mentioned about a plan B. You know, like with any animal move, we could try to come up with a uh, transportation plan. You know, what do you guys think of some of the, the key factors, the things that you have to think about, you know, before you, um, you start on the road with this animal? Well, I think it goes before that. I think, you know, relying on trained animals, you know, and, and you can train for two, three, six months and everything goes great. And then day of, it doesn't happen, you know, so, so you have to, I think you have to have a contingency for that. Your contingency might be, okay, everybody go to sleep. We'll try tomorrow. I mean, that oftentimes that's not realistic based on some of the schedules and, and um, uh, you know, not absolutes that go with uh, some of the timing and training and contracts and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, but you know, sometimes you, ha you have to kind of, again, shift, shift gears pretty quickly and come up with that plan B. So I think that's, that's important. Um, obviously, you know, crates, you, you mentioned the crates themselves. There's a lot of different things, I think, amenities and things, and not just the, the engineering and the stoutness of these crates, but I also think there's, you know, there's some crates that have straps built into the floor so that, you know, if an elephant were to go down, you can, you can help them up. Um, you know, some crates are, are, are more insulated than others. Some crates have, uh, heating elements in them, things like that. But I think that that plays into it a little bit also. But a lot of the things that, you know, were mentioned earlier about stopping and having enough drivers to go the whole way or 
if some driver gets food poisoning from some truck stop food and you know you got to get another one to to keep keep going i mean all those different things um who you know who's going with the animal uh, you know, it's a, so I, th I think a transportation plan is important just to, to map out what you're going to do, who's who's responsible for what, um, all those things. But, you know, the, and one of the things that we often do is is um, map out contact places on the way. So if you're passing through a certain area, you can rely on some of the local zoos or uh, resources in a given area in case something happens. But the 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 harsh truth about it is, is that it's uh, there's not a lot you know that there, there are not a lot of things you can <laughs> you can do in some cases if things go poorly that's why the plan is so important and and contingencies are so important because you know if you're out in the middle of nowhere with an elephant in the back of on the back of your truck uh, there's not a lot of not oftentimes a lot available to you you know I, I guys i agree with everything you said there and i think there's two aspects of it there's the um the transportation plan that's does revolve around the animal like you said things like um you know multiple drivers and 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 certain stops or emergency stops places along the way you can go to if you have a problem but the other part of it too is the um is the logistics before to get the animal on the on the vehicle and off the vehicle if you know if i was involved in sending an animal out you know i, I invite the people that are operating the equipment you know, be it a forklift or a or or a crane to scout out your area and that and kind of come up with a plan of where this this crane is going to park, where they're going to put out their their balancers, and where where's the truck going to go. So make sure that you're not um, spending time just figuring out where to park the trucks beforehand. If you are um, receiving the animal, the same thing is to invite that people out who's doing the equipment you know, um, and worked that out. I was involved in one, one transport where, you know, the one, you know, one place where, where the animal had to go, there's no truck access. The closest truck access was actually across the entire zoo site. So they had to um, get a big forklift and, and walk that crate, uh, crate through the, through that facility. And um, to the point where, you know, there's sometimes there's only, a few feet on either side of a taco stand or a tree to bring a the, the crate through there. And that facility had already walked through that. They knew the measurements, so they're down there prepared. So they didn't have to sit there and you know come up with each other plans and start moving things around in order just to have a straight route through the facility. I think a you know a dry run, not just training the animal, but training the equipment people is also valuable as well. But, but something else, I mean, shit, I remember years ago when we did elephants uh, in trailers, having that same issue where you couldn't get trailers through the zoo. It's a lot easier to get a crate and having to do exactly what you're saying, uh, how you explain it with a crate, but with an elephant, you know, tied to, you're tying off on trees in the front and back and dallying rope out and taking slack out and moving an elephant across the zoo through public space that has never been there before, never you know, was obviously comfortable going on restraints, but just because it wasn't set up to uh, get the right equipment in. And, it, you know, and I, I find that as a, an issue with, with a lot of different species, you know, regardless of what it is, getting crates or trucks in and out, uh, transport stuff is always a challenge in a zoo. 
you know, it's funny you'd say, you know, we talked about how to get an elephant from point A to point B and, you know, maybe you can cut some slack for some um, places that had like maybe older facilities and when they were built, you know, the concept of not just walking elephant through the park or walking elephant down a road is not an issue. Um, but it's amazing how even now there's still facilities being built and we're still running into that same issue. Um, you know, going back many, many podcasts as well is that a lot of times, you know, I don't think elephants are being, I don't know if this isn't actually a stat, but maybe elephants aren't being moved around as much as they used to, or the number of people that have been involved in elephant moved are quite obvious, are not as plentiful as they used to be. So then we build these facilities, sometimes some, some people are involved in facility designs that have never moved an elephant before. And those still, I think the reasons why things even this day and age for facilities that are even less than 10 years old are still having those those issues right now. Yeah, you cut some slack for a tree that maybe grew bigger. <laughs> you know, I thought about it, but sometimes um, as it surprises to me as well how much we still miss those things. And you think they're pretty. Yeah, well, in a, in a lot of places, though, as we talked about, it it takes a lot of real estate, you know, to to uh, create some of these spaces for trucks and trailers and crates and docking and all that kind of stuff. And you know, and a lot of institutions are every square foot is important. And and you know, you weigh against the frequency of these, which you touched upon is oftentimes not very frequent. Sometimes more than others, you know, fits and starts it comes. But you know, really, you weigh out. The, you know, the cost of putting in this, you know, money-wise, also the real estate is precious in most cases. So um, I know that that's often a consideration. And it and a lot of these things sound like a great idea from a cost savings or a real estate savings until the day comes that you're there moving the animal. And then, you know, you're, you're second guessing your choices or you're second guessing someone else's choices. Yeah, I think it's true. We, de we definitely don't move elephants like we used to. Um, and I think part of the reason is, you know, we used to move females to put them in a situation to get bred and then move them back to the, to their home facility to have a baby. You know, that was common practice 15, 20 years ago. Um, you know, we didn't, I don't think we knew as much about elephants as we do now. And the goal wasn't as much to create, um, you know, multi-generational herds and it was more about just keeping a couple elephants together because um, there weren't as many breeding facilities. And I think now when we move them, they're either, it seems like they're either, you know, older males that are moving to, for genetic diversity or they're younger elephants that are moving uh, to maybe start new herds. But I agree, we definitely don't move elephants like we used to. Hey, when we start, um... You know, a lot of times we're talking about just moving, a lot of times just single animals or anything like that for, you know, for those of you that have been involved with the um, family thing, um, if we're going to move, let's say a mom or daughter or, you know, some pair bonded animals, um, is there, two, is there, you know, what age would you say an animal is not eligible to be moved? Either, um, you know, it's too much, it's too big of a, big of an ask to have this animal separated from its mom or its family to go in a crate by itself but it maybe but it can't go into a crate with mom or do we ever see more than one elephant in crates are there type thing is 
family crates or there's mom and, and babies that, that go together. Well, the youngest, the youngest animal I ever moved was five and, and he was still relatively dependent on his mom. He was being moved with his mom to a new facility and they went in two different vehicles. Well, actually, well, I shouldn't say it. One, one went in a crate and one was in a, a, a truck. Um, but the animal was trained to be obviously separated. He was trained to be in the crate. Um, and it went, it went fine. It went great actually. Um, but as far as, yeah, I've, I've often thought about that question myself about if you had to move really small, uh, animals with, with their mothers, could, could it be done? I don't know. That's a good question. I, I don't know that I've seen it. Um, but my personal experience is, is, you know, a, a calf still, you know, who, who was still dependent on his mom was five and, and we did it because he was old enough to be, well, they, they were both acclimated and trained to be separated and were separated for a number of hours during the trip, but it went off without a hitch in the end. Was that five-year-old a male or a female? Male. Yeah. So it's about the same age um, that I've been a part of. Uh, never a herd that I worked at, but I've been a part of moving elephants that were, I think five was the youngest one. And it was a male and he, he was ready to kind of move out of that place he was in anyways. He was getting tusks and being obnoxious. It was an Asian elephant. Um, but I've moved multiple females in a truck before, but never in a crate before. Never a mom and a baby or even, um, or even two young ones. Uh, they've always been two similar aged adults that grew up together and lived together and you put them in a trailer together uh, facing each other and um, they seem to do fine. Yeah, so same um, same here, really, you know, when we had a mom and daughter come to a facility together and they're in a trailer and they're, they were um, facing each other. Um, be interesting as the, um, as this progresses, whether people will invent crates that could set the similar situation where you could, could have two elephants in a crate. Have you guys heard of that at all? Anybody building one of those? No, but what I think, what I think I would do probably is put, um, put the crates face to face and if there's a way to just leave the bars open, you know, because the, the bars are usually inset from the, from the enclosed door, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then they can, then they're kind of face to face and can see each other that way. And, okay. you know, that would be, that would be, I guess, the way I would try to do it if that ever arose. And, for yeah, me, and, and, I mean, and obviously the elephants are moved face to face because, you know, manure and urine and stuff, you don't want to be looking at that the whole ride and having, you know, be near, obviously elephants are very oftentimes almost always fed during transport. It would be interesting to see if there was a, um, a way to create, I don't know if there's a necessarily a need for it, you, you know, generally speaking, unless there's an emergency or something like that, we don't typically move females with very young calves, but it would be interesting to, to figure out if there's a way we could do a, uh, a crate with almost like a calf creep in it that they could, you know, kind of go in and out of it and have a safe space in case, you know, the mom were to get worked up or something as part of the ride where they could go a little creep in the front and 
have a you know secure little space and and it'd be interesting I, we typically don't do that but if the need arose it would be it would be interesting way to to do it and um see how it could be done yeah my creep you mean like able to get in and out with mom yeah where where the the calf could go where mom couldn't go and mm -hmm. then it could be in there with her i mean it, you always run the risk of you know, I mean, usually moms are pretty good and, you know, there's always a concern, obviously, with the stress and bumping around on the road. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, but even we, even they could have a little space adjacent to to the mom or up front or something like that. Anyway, it, it's just something to think about. But like I said, typically, it's not something that we would do unless it was a pretty urgent need to do that. Right. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is it would have to be a pretty outstanding circumstance to consider that. But, you know, I don't know about a creep, but just even having like a little stall up front for the baby where they yep. can do all that. Yeah, that would be, that would be interesting. You know, we talk about the, uh, the ride in the crate. I was involved in a discussion, I got several months ago. Um, you know, we had a, um, one of our topics was talking restraint and, you know, every so often comes up, you know, and we asked the question, of elephants being restrained in crates. In my experience, um, we've always trained the animals to accept. Um, and in my experience, been, you know, one front and the opposite rear. Um, what about your experiences about restraints and what do you think the need for that? I think they're non-negotiable. I think they have to be used and I know that there's been, uh, well, I shouldn't say I know. I, I'm aware of limited circumstances where restraints weren't used for, I'm not exactly sure the reasons why, um, but, I, but I have heard from, a, from multiple uh, reputable trans, elephant transporters that um, they would never do it without it. Some of that is just, you know, the, that's just their credo and how they've always done it. And I know at least one of them um, was due to the scenario that happened when they opted not to use them and they would never repeat that. Yep. Meaning that they sway, they get into swaying and get the trailer moving. Well, swaying. And I think, you know, that in this particular case, the, the elephant was small enough that it was, you know, doing pirouettes the whole time. Sure. Yep. And, and that's the thing is, you know, not only is it not necessarily safe for the animal, but, uh, as you kind of were alluding to that, that they can really get a vehicle moving on the road and that's not safe for the vehicle necessarily or <laughs> surrounding vehicles. So, you know, you obviously you want to keep that, you want to keep that to a minimum also. And, and you know, and, and it goes back to the beginning, I mean, training, and we've talked about this topic multiple times on, on multiple episodes, but you know, it, it's all in the training and, and, you know, acclimating them to as much of this process as possible, I think is, is advantageous to, to everybody involved. So to me, the, the restraints are just part of the plan and, and they're trained to wear them and accept them and desensitized to wearing them. And, you know, it's not, uh, it's not the first time they wear them, you know, when they, when they're transported and things like that. And, you know, we've talked about it a million times. There's numerous examples on and numerous applications as to why restraints are so important. So I think it's a, it's a non-negotiable part of the transport. So we put we put all this effort into, you know, trying to, you know, acclimate, 
train elephants to go into crates and try to reduce the stress of that. Um, and then we just pull them away from the herd that they've that they've lived with and stick them somewhere else. I mean, is there anything else we can do or we should be doing for the rest of the elephants or even for this elephant to make the transition better? I mean, the elephants left behind um, have to be going through something as well. You know, I've heard some people say that, you know, um, you know maybe it's worth our while to, to have that elephant start spending time away from the herd and all that kind of stuff. And I kind of look like, okay, well, you know, if there is five steps to separate an elephant from a herd, um, realistically, is it worth uh, step one or two? Because obviously, being on the same property, uh, even, or in the same, in, in the, you know, in the same area as the herd, it's not a true separation, but it is somewhat of a separation. Is that worthwhile? And is that going to equate in any way over to the other side, you know, when they get there? Um, I, you know, I think I'm, I'm undecided on that. I feel that um, whatever approximations that you, that you make, I, I don't think, you know, I don't think there's a huge payoff on the other side because it's just so different. You know, um, I don't know if it's, you know, I would argue that maybe it's more stressful for that animal to be away from the herd, unless you're invested a huge amount of resources, you know, like weeks to months of a slow separation, a slow approximation, then it may pay off if you're willing to do that. I think that, you know, just starting a couple of weeks beforehand, let's just separate them. Um, I think that might've been you know, too big of a bandaid on our end for them to, um, to um, deal with. You know, people, I've heard the phrase, cut the apron strings, it'll help out on the other side. And I'm not, um, I think that I can't, really say yay or nay on that because I, I I don't know the answer to that. Well I look at it this way as we talked about earlier with the with the youngsters and why we would move little ones just like anything I don't think we take moving elephants necessarily lightly so generally speaking there's a reason we do it and uh, so I think that as long as we have a, a, a valid and appropriate reason for doing it in the first place I guess we can we can do everything that we can to make it as smooth as possible, both from all the things we've already talked about, plus for the separation. I mean, you know, it, it's not a stretch to say that there is some fission infusion in elephants and herds and herd structure and things like that. So, um, you know, and, and again, we also can't assume that each elephant that's being moved is, is 100% best friends and 100% totally compatible with the elephants they left, or nor can we guarantee that that's how it's going to be done with the elephants they get to. Short of, um, you know, young males, which we, we know, you know, we, we've never given them you know, up until lately, we've never given them enough credit for, for how social they are. But that's, that's a normal part. We know that that's a normal part of uh, maturing and adolescence into adulthood and all that. The other thing is, is that now one of the things that we we usually do, and I think in, in many cases, we don't move elephants, certainly female elephants alone. You know, usually it's, it's splinter herds, uh, related groups, compatible, and you know, if not related, compatible animals, so that they do have a bit of a foundation travels with them, you know, and, and is a foundation that they left that remains. And when they, when they end up in their new places, they, they have a little bit of some bedrock to stand on, whether it's a compatible buddy, a relative or something like that. And then they get introduced obviously to the new space 
and potentially new animals. Thinking outside the box a little bit, you know, um, you know, I don't think this is something being quantified, but we know that olfactory is a, a um, of elephants' lives and stuff like that. Um, what would you think about saying, well, we're going to start sending some some fecal materials from the herd that they're going to, so that becomes a familiar smell. Do you think that is something that is kind of too outside the box? Box at probably to pay off. What are your thoughts about well, that? Well, one is uh, I think if I hope it stays in the box, however the hell you're getting it to the other facility it's going to. But uh, I don't know that honestly that I would put, I, I don't know that the juice would be worth the squeeze on that one, to be honest. I mean, I, I don't know that I'd go to those lengths. It'd be interesting to try to see if we, you know, if somebody, if somebody has ever tried it, if, they, if they've been successful or, uh, or not. I, I don't know that that's something that I would necessarily do because I think, you know, I, I think it would be enriching for sure. And I know, and I know that we've done different strategies, moving um, cyclic urine around to help with bulls and semen production and that sort of thing. And, you know, and there's even, you know, uh, verdicts out on whether that helps or not. Again, I just, I just don't know that I'd go to the length of shipping manure, you know, places, but that's, that's just me. I don't, I don't think it's a bad idea. Again, based on the, the total amount of effort it would take to do it. I mean, it's not a huge deal. I just don't know if I would do it, but it's it's certainly interesting for sure. Yeah, I don't know how you'd even quantify that too. And then even thinking even they're outside the box if we had the um, most facilities don't have that technology, but of all you send re send recordings of the other herd <laughs> that they're going to be and send them and play them around the elephants that are going to gain some familiarity, right? Um, I think to me, they're interesting concepts but as you eloquently put, I don't know if it's worth that squeeze or not, but, um, because I, I don't know how to quantify that, but it's to me um, be interesting if they had familiar noises or smells on the other end, if that would mean anything to them. So another question, um, it was brought up earlier, you know, about age of moving elephants and we kind of got, I don't remember if it was specifically brought up about the young ones, but that's kind of the direction we went was the youngest and um, moving with the mother. So on the flip side of that, what do you, what, what do you think about age? Because we get into a spot where we have places with two elephants, three elephants, and they lose one because of age and they're left with one or two elephants that are older and they get a lot of pressure from uh, animal rights to move them because there's one or two. And do you think it's right to move an elephant, whether it's one or two elephants that have lived in a facility the majority of their life, they're older, we'll say over 40, um, well shit, over 30, who cares? They've lived there for 30, 20 or 30 years. And now, you know, due to pressure from animal rights, uh, we're going to move them and we're going to take an elephant that's lived in one place their whole life and move them and all of a sudden stick them around a bunch of strangers in a new facility and be in the being the new kid on a block in a facility that they're not familiar with with a bunch of elephants that um, that have probably grown up there yeah i think that's that's a really tough question i think um there's a couple couple of categories. A question, uh, one of the questions they say, can you move the elephant first? And then should you move the elephant? Well, I mean, can you move the elephant? Um, 
you know, they get to a certain age, we have discussions of whether, um, how much of a physical toll could this move have on the animal? I know there's been lots of times where um, veterinarians and medical communities, you know, quote unquote experts have come in and tried to assess an elephant to see if that's the right move to send them. I think that'd be a very difficult thing to do is to try to assess, you know, okay, this animal can take a four hour journey. This one can't go eight hours or, you know, whatever is. I think that's a very difficult thing to assess. And I think the medical professionals have to make their personal opinion on that. If it seemed that they can't go, and um, then obviously that, that ends. Should they go or not is um, the interesting question because I think that we've seen um, some, some successes and some arguable failures when it comes, you know, um, I would look at, you know, you know, should we move the elephant? That's a question of why, you know, um, emotionally, you know, we, we kind of jump on the fact saying what well, this animal is by itself. And that is something that we have to move them. And I think that it's just uh, the pie that we need to consider. It can be a big piece of the pie, um, obviously. But I think that when welfare assessments or wellness um, evaluations are elephants, um, their social aspect is just one of them as well, because the animal could be showing root signs of normal behavior, um, good good elephant behavior, no signs of stress, no signs of any psychological concern at all, and then then you're going to gamble that in order to get that one piece that you think you're missing when it comes to social. And there's been times where they move to other facilities and they get the complete pie. They have the same level of uh, uh, no dip in in um, any other wellness factors, and they've in greatly improved in the in the um, in the social aspect of it. I think that um, for the facilities, you know, we do have standards for people at AZA that they require elephants to to go and um, be in in our facilities to have at least a certain amount of elephants. It doesn't mean that all those elephants are together, but they need to be around other elephants uh, as well. I think that's something that if a facility um, has to make an argument, you know, to either they can't move or they shouldn't move based on, you know, that variance and try to get that kind of that leeway to be able to suspend it or not. So I think that um, it's not an automatic, this elephant is by itself, it will be better off going to this place. And I think look at the herd that it's going going to as well. If there's an established herd that's been together for 20 years and it doesn't have a history of taking quote unquote outsiders, that, that could be a bigger risk that that animal might not be integrated into that herd. Um, I think they have to factor as well in the animals that, were, that, it, that they're gonna be introduced to. Because I think there are sometimes track records of, of herds or other groups of elephants that are very welcoming to other, other elephants and some facilities have more success introducing other elephants because of their existing herd. I think there's so many factors for each individual situation um, it's hard to, it's hard, it's a hard question to answer. Uh, it might be, you know, it might be easier to drill down in specific circumstances, but largely I think, you know, we know as we've, as we've said and alluded to many times that travel is no picnic um, and, and certainly length of travel and um, time and transit and things have to do with that. So I think fitness, you know, the animal's fitness for travel is a huge component. 
uh, obviously the social aspect, like it was discussed is, is important, but I think really is, you know, we have to weigh out what, what the priorities are and what the priorities are for in general, for, for an elephant, a perfect scenario, and then priorities for an individual and, and all of the, the individual, um, conditions that go along with that case. So it's a hard one to answer, but, but certainly, uh, Factoring in what we know about transporting elephants, I think fitness for, you know, their physical fitness for travel is a huge component. And then frankly, the social aspect, you know, how are they doing where they are? And, and do we think there's going to be a net benefit of where, where they might go? So a lot of components to consider. Thanks again for once again, listening to Packy Chat. You know, I say it every time, but you know, Packy Chat is not about agendas or anything like that. It's just a, a handful of guys getting together and talking about elephants and our passion for elephants. So we're not trying to push anything on anybody. Uh, we hope that anyone that listens has an open mind. And, you know, if you can take one or two things away from the stuff we talk about, great. Uh, if it spurs on uh, some conversation in the barn or makes you think about things differently or even reassures that what you're doing is right, uh, you know, that's all great. You know, we, I'll say it over and over, we love elephants and we love to talk about them. So that's what this is all about. So thanks so much for listening to us, and thanks as always for supporting us on Facebook or wherever you listen to your podcasts. A couple things. If you have other topics you want to hear us talk about, send us a, a message on Facebook or email us at packychatpodcasts at gmail.com, P-A-C-H-Y-C-H-A-T-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Uh, and we'll answer those emails uh, as soon as we can or give us ideas for future topics. And again, as I mentioned earlier on, uh, we are on Patreon now. Uh, go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, uh, and look up Packy Chat. And all that is is a way to help support us. Uh, you know, I know times are tough for everybody, and we're certainly not looking to make a profit on Packy Chat. But uh, there are some expenses that go along with it. Microphones, uh, software, podcast space, all that thing costs money that we're paying for out of our pocket right now, which we're happy to do. If you like us, like us enough to support us, that's great. You know what? And if now is not the time to provide any uh, financial support, we are so cool with that as well. Just uh, give us a like and share with your friends. That's good enough for us. Uh, as always, thanks so much for listening to us, and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.